the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. AM 560 WFIL.com and on the app you're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show. Thanks for tuning in. Kind of cloudy, windy, chillier than we thought in the upper 40s, down to 28 tonight. Skies clearing out, wind dying down, and uh, cloudy again tomorrow, high around 48, but not as windy, and maybe a shower, but otherwise just kind of cloudy all day. Sixers lost 108 97 to the Knicks yesterday. Joel Embiid with 31 points, 14 rebounds in the loss. They're at Boston Wednesday night at 7 30. Yeah, the Flyers home tonight, back on the ice after about a week off. They had the All-Star break over the weekend, and they happened to have their schedule just, they weren't playing last week. They play against the Islanders at 7. They have about 30 games to go in the season. Head coach John Tortorella talked about that. I don't look at the number. I look at the one game. I, I just don't think that we can start projecting and start trying to put expectations for for what the season will be at the end. Because then I think you skip things as far as the day-to-day activities. So you may ask them, they may have a different answer, and that's their call. My answer is, I just worry about the next day, and that's against the Islanders tonight. Flyers head coach John Tortorella. Uh, and of course, you have the Pro Bowl was yesterday, NFC over the AFC 35-30. Or is it Saturday? I forget what day it is today. Some of these days are running together. I guess that was, I don't forget, 35-33. It was yesterday, uh, Pro Bowl. They did flag football and some other things that apparently were a hit with the players. You know, as the players, you know, get injured, they don't want to get injured in a, in a Pro Bowl game. And so, and fit football being so physical, they've changed things up this year. And players seem to take to it and actually play with some pretty uh, intense, you know, competition. It's, it's tough, I think, if you're in the mind of an athlete to just turn that off. Uh, they're competitive all the way through. Uh, Jason Kelsey of the Eagles, of course, the big biggest news of all with regard to sports these days around here is the Eagles coming up with the Super Bowl this Sunday against the Chiefs at 6.30. And, uh, the the uh, players are available for media gatherings, and they're giving their comments about things. And Jason Kelsey has talked about uh, in this little clip here, courtesy of Eagles.com, how PhiladelphiaEagles.com, how special it is for him to get back to his second Super Bowl. Of course, he helped lead the team to victory five years ago. And here's what he said about being in the second. And he says a couple of things in there that speak to – you know what it's like to be an athlete and the comp- competitive side of things. Yeah, you know you uh, you know getting the ones hard, getting the twos obviously an incredible feat by the organization, all the guys uh, here that have made that happen. Yeah, I think uh, Brent Selig actually talked that year, and I think he knew that the team was really special, and he was a guy that had been along around for a long time at that point. And uh, I remember him talking to the offense before the first game about how he had went to the NFC Championship his second year. And how he thought he'd just be back there every year. Or, you know, we'll get him next time. And, you know, it took him another eight years after that or nine years to get back there. So I think uh, it was kind of, you know, hey, there's a sense of urgency here. We have a really good team. We have a great roster. You're only going to get so many chances to do something special in this league. And 
he realized it very early on that year that we had a chance to do something great. And, um, you know, I think you go into every year, quite honestly, thinking you're going to go to the Super Bowl. It's hard to go into a year, like, not expecting to be great. Uh, it's, it just doesn't happen often. But, you know, I think that we made a lot of improvement over the course of last year. I think all of us collectively felt really positive going into this year. And we made a lot of acquisitions that we felt were going to improve. But you never know until you start playing. And, you know, once we started playing, I think we all realized that, we, you know, we have the talent to make it happen. It's really going to come down to, you know, how well we execute, how well we prepare, how well we take care of the football. You know, really just all the things we can do to not beat ourselves. And that's going to probably dictate how far we go. That's uh, Eagle Center. Jason Kelsey referencing earlier in the clip Brent Selleck, who played a fine tight end for the Eagles for a number of years, and if you, I'm not sure if you caught that, but he was saying that as an athlete, you think you're going every year, or you know, and and when they didn't make it, he's like, well, we'll get there next year, and then it was eight more years in between, and and so it's kind of an interesting thing as an athlete. On the one hand, you'd want to expect every year we can do this, but the reality is there are 30 plus other teams thinking the same thing, and in the end, only two get to play in the Super Bowl, and then of course only one wins it. So uh, now, interestingly enough, of course you had the Eagles. Uh, against the Chiefs, and you have, among other many storylines, Jason Kelsey, who you just heard there, Eagle Center, and uh, for, you know, his brother is playing for the Chiefs, uh, Travis Kelsey, on offense, and so uh, Jason's talking about here who's going to be, you know, most stressed in his family watching the game. So I think it's always stressful for the people watching. I think that that's probably more, not even just parents, I think it's coaches, fans. I mean, when you don't have control on the field of what's happening, I think that's a stressful situation. I feel like when you're playing, there's a, a sense of control in the outcome, and you, you can you can have a difference in it yourself. So it's a little bit less stressful. So I would I would imagine my parents would probably be the most stressed out. I think they are every time we're watching a game. So yeah, it's really interesting. You know, Jason Kelsey again of the Eagles and his brother Travis playing for the Kansas City Chiefs. And so I think his mom has a specialty jersey that's 50-50 uh, that she has sported before. Uh, but, you know, even there, it's interesting as I listen to him speak about, you would think the players would be nervous, and I'm sure they have their butterflies and all that. But it's interesting he said that they feel less nervous because they can actually do something about it. When you're watching as a fan, you really can't do anything. You can yell, you can eat your wings, you can yell at the TV, or you can cheer and all that stuff. Uh, but, you know, you, you actually don't come into play when it well i guess if you're at the game and the loud cheer you can you can motivate the players that way there are there are ways of encouraging the team one but in any case uh, fletcher cox also one of the key players for the eagles uh, on defense also in his second super bowl and he talked about how special that is i mean it means a lot you know i've been you know cherishing every moment living in the moment the moment is right now which is today and uh you know just got to know that i walked through obviously just soaking it all in you know letting all the guys know that hey man we got a chance to do something special and you know we really do and that's going to start, you know, with us, you know, making sure that we have a good practice today and, you know, take that, that energy and the, um, the momentum on to, to Arizona when we get there in the practice. That's Fletcher Cox of the Eagles. So looking forward to that little by little. Uh, and we'll see. It'll be a fun, certainly a fun time to watch this Sunday evening uh, starting at 630. Uh, also fun on our show today, we have several guests, including Jay Jackson, lead singer of Apologetics. He has joined us a few times in the past, to say the least. Great friend of the program and the station. He's the lead singer and lyricist uh, of, of the band Apologetics, which is a Christian uh, a parody band. They take mainstream songs and write biblical parodies of everything from Elvis to Eminem and everything in between. And they've had, I think, close to 70 albums out. We're going to talk to him for a few minutes, but more than just about the most recent music they've put out. And we've given it away on the station over uh, over the years. 
but also because he has a really amazing testimony in a way that revolves around coming to know the Lord uh, about 30-something years ago, Super Bowl weekend, I believe it was. So we'll talk to Jay about that. We also have two other guests joining our program, Jeff, uh, Jeff Hefner, who is known in the Chicago series, Chicago Fire, Chicago Med. He's also a host of GSN's brand new show called Switch Game Show, which just premiered last week. And we have uh, Devin Alexander, known for her, best known for a lot of things, but best known for her role as the chef on NBC's The Biggest Loser. She has uh, 10 books out. The 10th one just came out. It's called The Land of Secret Superpowers, Vegetables. So it's a kid's book, actually, which is kind of neat. We'll talk with her about that, and maybe you'll learn a couple things uh, getting ready for the Super Bowl, perhaps. So all that happening in the program today, whatever else we can shoehorn in, it's the Tim DeMoss Show, AM560, WFIL.com, and the WFIL app. You're listening to a podcast of the Tim DeMoss Show, heard weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM560, WFIL and at WFIL.com. AM560, WFIL.com on the app. Bad Medicine by Bon Jovi, the original apologetics parody there. Bad Citizens from their new CD, Vision Gets Clearer As We Get Closer. Apologetics has hundreds of songs, all sorts of styles, and underneath, uh, one thing they have in common, though, underneath all the song titles, they have at least one passage that the parody is based on. Sometimes, as in the case of this song, there are four different ones. First Peter 3, 13 to 17, John 15, 18 to 25, Acts 5, 17 to 42, as well as Acts 4, 1 through 22. Here's what that says. The priests, it's titled uh, Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we may be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, 
we must warn these men to no longer speak to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them to speak, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not, excuse me, they could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old, as is Jay Jackson, our guest on the program now. Hey, Jay. (laughs) Great transition. (laughs) Good timing. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I was waiting in line at the post office. And then the lady finally waited on me. I had nine packages. And she got through the eighth one and the nine when the thing jammed up. (laughs) Of course. Of course. Biting my nails. Did she circle uh, at the bottom where you can do a survey and tell tell the uh, government how she did? Yeah, well, they always circle that and they explain (laughs) stuff, even though I come in all the time. Well, I'm glad you made it through. Did you get a lollipop? Did they give those out at the post office still? Uh, I don't think so, Tim. My kids still ask me, and they're, you know, older. So. Really? Yeah. Might as well. I mean, why not? Doesn't cost them anything. I used to carry my oldest daughter in a mailing bin whenever I go there when she was like two or three. uh, I can't do that anymore. No, that's fun. Well, if you're just tuning in, Jay Jackson's our guest, fresh off the post office run. And uh, at the end of our, the song that we just played from their CD, Vision Gets Clearer as we get closer. And we played uh, track number eight, Bad Citizen, uh, Take Off on Bad Medicine by Bon Jovi. And uh, I was just reading Acts 4, which is one of several passages listed underneath the song title. So uh, the, let me get, let's get caught up for a second. Vision Gets Clearer as we get closer. Is that the absolute newest or is it you, you guys are so pro- prolific? I don't know if there's another one that's already popped out since then. <laughs> That one just came out in December, so that is uh, that's number sixty-eight. We're working on sixty-nine, seventy, and seventy-one simultaneously. Although See what they I mean? won't come out at the same same time. Okay, fair enough. So vision gets clearer as uh, we get closer. Take a second, talk about whether it's that song or just the album overall, the the theme of it. And uh, folks, and by the way, can go to apologetics.com, a p o l o g e t i x dot com for. More info on the band and all the different song parodies, uh, hundreds of them, and uh, about, I guess, 13 Baker's Dozen on this newest CD. Yeah, thank you very much. Well, you know, um, it's uh, the the project has a variety of songs from the uh, 60s, 70s, 80s, and I think in the 90s, too. Um, and what we did is uh, it's just a, a mix of a bunch of different songs. That particular one, of course, you know, you, you read it from from Acts, as things are starting to stir up a little bit for uh, the Apostles. The preceding song on that CD is called um, The Boys Aren't Backing Down, which is kind of Acts 2 and 3, as we see as things are going great for them, a day of Pentecost, then they heal a lame guy, it's not going quite so well with the religious authorities, and then they turn up the heat on this one. Um, There's even a song about our beloved Pittsburgh Pirates on this new CD. Um, It's a humorous song because that's the only way to uh, 
to endure our beloved Pittsburgh Pirates is with humor. <laughs> That's true. Yes, well, and you said it, so I don't have to. Thank you for doing that. Uh, have you ever, as you're talking there, have you ever done a CD uh, just with consecutive passages of Scripture? That's probably maybe putting yourself in a box you don't need to be in. But it, it could be an interesting, I think call it a concept album, is the way some bands do that. If you did something, you know, the first 10 chapters of John or something and, and wrote a bunch of songs about that. So one leads into the well, next. Well, we did do, uh, keeping with the baseball theme, we did do one called Minor League in 2016. One song for each of the uh, 12 minor prophets. Okay. Got baseballs on the front, autographed baseballs with the prophets' names on them. And we've done like, um, we've done other chronological ones like uh, Jesus Christ Morning Star and Easter Standard Time are both. Uh, in regard to that, and yeah. we are working on this year, Tim, that is um, that is the life of Samson as a rock opera. It's called Play It Again, Samson, and it, um, it, it is uh, tw- 12 songs in a row of the the, the whole story, because, you know, there's more to Samson than just uh, Delilah. So, right, uh, that's true. A whole lot more. You read that, it's very interesting. There are so many components also that led up to probably why he was as vulnerable as he was. So. Yeah, it gets pretty hairy in some places, but uh, yeah. Where's my rim shot? I got it here somewhere. I didn't have it handy. You know, I should have known better. I should have known with you. Well, we're, th- we're we're thinking about we're thinking about doing a show as a live show that whole album, but I'm worried about scalpers. Yeah, uh, that's really good. I mean, that's just hilarious, and I still can't find my rim shot, and I'm frustrated. Well, you should comb the room and try and find it. Oh yes. Once again. See, we saved those for our pun segment on Friday. That's a different set of our computer system. I had to go scroll over and find those. But I'll have to put it on yeah. our, our homepage just for every time you're on the program. So tell us about – so here's the thing. So the parodies that folks are – you know, you've been on with us many times over the years, which is great. And the song parodies, though, just there's a wide variety. This newest CD, Vision, gets clear as we get closer. The original artists ranging from Great White and NXS, Def Leppard, Credence is on here, Springsteen. Uh, the Clash, Thin Lizzy, Bon Jovi, ELO, Kiss, Rednecks. We're trying to play here in a second. And uh, Van Halen and Live. So it's a wide variety, but you have many others. You have some that are fe- we, we often will play John 1-1 because it's a fun song, uh, Beach Boys parody of, uh, of uh, fun, fun, fun. Anyhow, many others. Or Little Youth Group is a great one. Little Deuce Coop, Takeoff. Uh, so the, people can enjoy those and and go whatever direction they are, you know, wanting to do that. Whether it's for Bible study, which is how it was birthed, I think, out of you, part of your studying scripture and writing writing these songs. But taking a step back from that, I just want people to know a little bit because this is a special time of year for you, uh, with regard to the Super Bowl. Not just not because you're a Steelers fan; they, they've had a lot of success in the past. But honestly, like how you came to know the Lord right about this time thirty how many years ago? Thirty five. Yes, it was 35 years ago, and and Tim, I'm sorry we don't have any Eagles parodies on the new CD. However, yes. speaking of uh, Super Bowls, uh, neither one of our Pennsylvania teams were in the Super Bowl that year, but it was the, the Washington football team, formerly known as the Redskins, um, was playing the Denver Broncos, um, and uh, Doug Williams had his amazing game where he had all those touchdowns, and um Yes, I excused myself from a Super Bowl party at my girlfriend's apartment with other people, and for some reason found myself in an empty church next door and poured my heart out to the Lord. I wasn't feeling, it wasn't like a planned thing, and it wasn't like, oh my gosh, it's a, it's, it's a, you know, I'm a do or die or anything. I just felt compelled to do it, and I uh, poured out my heart to the Lord, and uh, the church was empty. I, 
I thought uh, I thought it was empty. He was there. I was I was the one who was empty and uh, changed my life. Thirty five years later, no looking back, and uh, yeah, it was wonderful, wonderful, uh, wonderful time. Had you even noticed the church before? Yes, I'd seen the church many times. I've been in that church a number of times prior. And, uh, what's that? Prior prior to going in that that night. Oh yes, yes, yes. Okay. So it wasn't the church that did it. It just it was it was it was providential that it was uh, open. You know, that it was unlocked. So it was uh, it was an old Catholic church. You know, and they, nobody was nobody was there. So I I walked in and I just poured my heart out to the Lord and uh, yeah, it was a uh, it was a great time. And, you know, the first time I ever spoke to my wife was on a Super Bowl Sunday too. So uh, so Super Bowls have been good to me. <laughs> um, Aside from Super Bowl thirty and Super Bowl forty five when the Steelers lost, yes. But uh, other than that, it's been it's uh, had uh, some great uh, great Super Bowl memories. God's done wonderful things on those days for me. Well, it's a uh, it's a great thing to know. It's uh, you know everybody you ask a person their testimony where when and where perhaps some folks grew up in a Christian home and it's not about a specific moment necessarily, uh, but others have had more the tangible times in their timelines and. So to hear yours, I think of you. I do think of you every every year on the Super Bowl to to know that the Lord came into your life very clearly at that point. Prior to then, some some nibbles, some thoughts about it, or I mean, oh yeah, yeah, and and thank you for for thinking of me that. Yes, I can look back and I can see all kinds of moments. You know, before that, um, you know, t- tons of. Me as a little kid, I was on Sunday morning. There wasn't too much to watch back then, as you know, Tim. Yeah. Um, and uh, you had know, the big three networks. I don't even think Channel Thirteen. Channel Thirteen probably had like Sunrise Semester or some <laughs> dumb thing on. For as far as a kid, it's dumb. Right. You know? And uh, I used to watch the. You know, they used to have Rex Humbard, the preacher, was on, and Catherine Kuhlman. And I used to watch those as a little kid. Um, and and they probably gave all their calls, and I probably said, "Yeah, you know," as a little kid. Because my parents, we were even though we grew up Catholic and that family, we were open to to things back then. Yeah. And so. Um, yeah, so between that and, like, the Navigators came and visited my freshman year in college, and I remember feeling like I made some sort of commitment one one particular night and then screwing up the next day big time. But just different moments along the way where I, I can look back and say, yeah, God did something there, he did something there. But the no-turning-back thing, the BCAD line, I you know, would be that, uh, you know, um, you know in, in uh, 1988. That's... Yeah, that's where I started reading the Bible, and really, I mean, I, the year before, Tim, I was driving down the road on my way to uh, to work, and uh, I heard that still small voice, not an audible voice, but, you know, I was driving to work, and something inside of me, this is a year before, saying, start reading the Bible, it's true. And so I did, and I liked it, but I was trying to make myself good enough for God at the time, and, you know, trying to live an ascetic life, and, you know, you know, give up everything, and make myself good enough for God, and that didn't work, and I... I kind of went in reverse after that and like lived a tested my mind with folly as the preacher says in Ecclesiastes, but came the whole way back around that Super Bowl Sunday. And that, that is this time I was ready. I started reading the Bible, and even though I liked it the year before when I started reading it and really enjoyed it. It was like a totally different book. It's like, it went from, I like this, but I could never live by its standards to, Oh, that's what he meant. Because the year before when I'm reading and saying like, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. You're, Hand caused you to sin, cut it off. I'm thinking there's going to be like a molecule of me left. <laughs> I didn't realize. I did, and and now it's like, oh, that's what he means. And once 
you know, once he's inside, I was putting the cart before the horse. Once that that uh, that horse was there, it it made sense. Read the Bible all the way through, read it again, read it again, read it again. I don't think I've missed a day since, and I need to read it every day. You know, just you know, just like I need to brush my teeth every day. So, even more so. <laughs> I love that. I need to brush my teeth a few times a day, actually. Jay, I love the reminder also. Folks tuning in, we're just chatting for a little bit here with Jay Jackson, lead singer and lyricist for Apologetics. That Christian parody band, their newest CD is called Vision Gets Clearer As We Get Closer. That there are a lot of touch points along the way as an encouragement to those who are listening to be faithful where they are because you may be one of those people who helps nudge the process along and eventually someone comes to know the Lord. Any time now, sometimes someone says, that person's not a Christian. I, say, I use the word yet. I say, that person's not a believer yet. And I don't know how it's all going to go, but I don't just uh, label someone as they're not a Christian, like they're not going to. And I like to include that. And, and when you're talking and you mentioning Navigators or Rex Humbard on TV when you're a kid, you think about the seeds planted. Just to encourage us as we're listening to to – Keep doing what you're doing, what's right in front of you, be faithful. Because I, I think about now that you you know, came to know the Lord and all the blessing that you've been able to be to many, many people since then, that the trunk of that tree often, I mean, really, it's the Lord, but there's all these other people along the way who did a little bit of something and didn't even know it, perhaps. So, let, oh, let, yeah, my, my, yeah. yeah. I had a cousin who became a born-again Christian, and she got married like in like 79 or so. I remember going to her wedding and, and, and being— on one hand, strangely attracted to the whole thing, and strangely repulsed by, by it because of like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to give up everything for my life. But I, I was attracted to it, you know. And and I just had lunch this week with a guy, my freshman year in in, in college. He was the only senior on our all guys dorm. Everybody else was living off campus, and he was just so nice. And you just you felt drawn to the guy. But it's like, why is this? guy and girls like him why is he hanging out with a bunch of and and he was just so nice he was like a tim tebow kind of guy and and i was able to tell him years later you had an impact on me like when people would say stuff like um sorry to take the lord's name in vain he'd say what's that cheese and rice or like somebody <laughs> yeah. would say what the bleep and he'd say what's that what the heck it was just this gentle sweet way he had a sweet spirit about him and and then i found he was preaching on there what is a senior in college doing preaching? Who ever heard of such a thing? And it, it left an impact on me. So you, you're right. It does along the way. Interesting. I like that. Listen, uh, I, I'm glad you've been able to hang out with us for a little bit here. And I, and I want to uh, I want to play this song. I'm not probably going to have time to do it today, but I'd like to get your take on this for fun, just for a second, on a song that's not typically uh, an apologetics type of song, but people dance to it all the time, have fun with Cotton Eye Joe. You've got an I know. Uh, so what what prompted you to do this song in particular? Your daughters or well, I like that what what's that? Is it your was it your daughter, your kids who prompted you, or are you like you're a hip guy, you know what's going on, but I don't know if you had the the kids who have become more and more involved nudge you along. Hey dad, let's do a little something different. Well, I'm a real hep cat, like you said, <laughs> Um Meow. Um actually my kids know that song because I turned them on to it. Wow. I uh I heard it in the late eighties, early nineties, whenever and, and I liked it. I thought this this thing was catchy and years later I I dug it out because I'm always playing songs for my kids. We, you know, we tried to not build a wall between secular music and sacred sacred music for them. We we'd say, Look, it's all about the words. It's all about this and so we played them all kinds of novelty songs and fun songs, funny songs and they liked that one. Uh my 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 oldest ones in particular, my two oldest daughters and uh 
sometimes they like songs too much. It backfires and you get annoyed. It's like, I don't want to play the song again. And so I start to rewrite them to entertain myself, keep myself from going insane. And I got the idea for that. And then Heather grew up and she was 20 years old and say, hey, you want to sing this song with me? And so that's how it worked out. My second daughter... Heather sings uh, the female vocals on it. That's very cool. Well, we'll incorporate that in the show this week and uh, and give us an ex- excuse to uh, play back pieces of our conversation too. I, I like to repurpose sure. our conversations and and let people you know get. You know, everybody's listening every single second of the show. Believe it or not, I know that very well. And oh, so, I, can't it. <laughs> I know it's true. But we we'll do that, and so we can use that and, and maybe I'll play the song during the week this, this week. God bless you, my friend. Thank you for taking time to hang out today. It's really uh, great to hear your voice again. Thank you. God bless you. Go Eagles. I will be rooting for the Eagles once again in the Super Bowl, as I always do, believe it or not. It'll be my fourth time rooting for them. All I right. hope they win their second one. <laughs> Thank you, Jay. All right, my brother. We'll catch you again. Jay Jackson, lead singer, Apologetics, A-P-O-L-O-G-E-T-I-X. Their newest uh, parody CD is called Vision Gets Clearer As We Get Closer. Quick break. Another guest coming up on our program, Jeff Hefner from Game Show Network's Switch, Tim DeMoss Show, WFIL. Live and local, it's the Tim DeMoss Show, weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Our podcast continues. 439, the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL in Philadelphia. You'll know him as Jeff Clark in Chicago Fire and Chicago Med. He's also host been in a lot of other shows and movies and everything. Host now of the Game Show Network's program, Game Show Switch. Talking about Jeff Hepner. Jeff, how you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Wonderful. Thanks for taking a few minutes to chat today. Congratulations on Switch. Thank you so much, man. I'm super proud of it. Yeah. It, now, it, it just premiered on the 30th of January. This is, is this season one? This is season one, yep. This, okay. this last week was the very first week of it. Wow. So tell, just tell us for a second about it. What are viewers in store for when they watch Switch? So it's a different kind of trivia show. So we, uh, instead of playing for points or for money, we are playing for position. We start with five contestants who find themselves behind these five numbers. Every time they get a question right, they could switch towards the number one. Every time they get it wrong, they could switch towards the number five. If you find yourself behind the number one at the end, you win $1,000, and you get a chance to win $10,000. That's pretty cool. For you personally, what do you like about the game itself? You know what? I, it feels really, really spontaneously fun. You, you know, it's just because they're moving amongst each other, the contestants. Yeah. And there's this element of newness to that, and they've got to really interact into each other's personal space. I think we get really authentic reactions. We get to see their personality. We get to see people who love game shows who actually get to be on a game show. And I think for I think for a lot of people, that's just kind of a dream come true, and it's really cool to witness. Yeah, you know, I, I like the movement up and down. I, I'm thinking also it's hard to keep them all straight, make sure they land in the right spot. No, you should be down one, you should be up one. But but how you can also go up or down, fast or slow, it kind of depends. So there's that element of fluidity to it. Definitely. You can go from the five spot all the way to the one. We have it happen all the time. And and another one of my favorite things is this que- this this show comes to the last question every game. It always comes down to the last question. <laughs> Anybody who's still on the stage has a chance to win all the way up to the last minute. It's not like somebody who's got 50,000 more points than someone else and there's no shot at it. Yeah. it. It really comes down to the last question. And we get some really exciting twists. How about for you to prepare to host? What do you do to you know, keep in mind to do a good job ahead of time? 
you know, I really want to just, um, because I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> I really want to just have a great time. I really, truly am rooting for them. Um, it's, it's such an, uh, a pleasure to be able, in a position where I get to, I get to kind of, you know, run this circus and somebody might win 10 grand out of it. That's a blast. And I take that, you know, as such a blessing. And I just want them to have a great time. My preparation is just to be there with them. Let's go. Interesting. Do you, do you have to improvise? I'm thinking your roles that you've had in, in TV and film. Um, and I'm guessing even though those are pre-produced in the sense of there's uh, there's still improvisation, I would think on a set and same for the game show. How much improvisation do you have to do versus you kind of know exactly where it's going? You know, with the game show, luckily, I have no idea where it's going. And, um, <laughs> you know, I had the good fortune to train with the Upright Citizens Brigade in New York for a couple of years, many, many years ago. And that stuff is coming into play now because I really don't know. I don't know what they're going to say. Um, we, we do six shows in a day, so we, we just keep rolling. And when a new group comes out, I'm just like, here we go. Let's let's see what happens. And, and you know, the, that to me is – this creative joy that I never thought I would really get to do as a grown-up, right? I get to I get to play with this game and these people, and whatever happens happens, and everybody's pretty happy to be there. So the result typically is pretty positive. Did you grow up watching any game shows in particular, or have a host that you you know studied or learned from, or was it just this is all on the newer side for you and just enjoying it for what it is? You know, a little bit of both, actually. You know, I grew up with. You know, Bob Barker. Yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, many, many uh, lunches with my grandmother in front of the Price is Right during the summer or even if you got a, if you were sick and home from school. Yeah. Um, I just remember, you know, his kind and easy way. Um, me personally, though, because I'm a high energy guy um, and I get very excited. I love to talk. So I think that I just allow myself to do that. And, you know, I'm not trying to be anybody else. And you know, I do say this a lot, that I, I play the jerk in a suit on TV a lot. I get to be a good guy in a suit, and I really want to just embrace that. How did you, how did you come to, uh, you know, be the host? And just curious, the, the backstory for hosting Switch. It came out of the blue, really. I had gotten a call from my manager who had, had received a call from the Game Show Network to see if I would ever be interested in, in doing something like this. And, um, and I don't, sometimes you just don't know where that stuff comes from, where, who got the spark, the idea. I really, and sometimes you don't want to question it because you don't want them to think like, oh, do we make a mistake? Oh boy. <laughs> but uh, I was happy to call Kane. And when I met with them, it was just a natural fit. I think that um, the more I thought about it and the more I, you know, we talked about game shows and what they mean, you know, I think that when you invite someone into your house every night at a, at the same time, you can kind of create a routine with, with a host, you know, when we saw Alex Correct come into your your house every night on Jeopardy, you just get comfortable with him, and, right. and you build a routine. And I think that a lot of people live by those uh, those rhythms, and to have a chance to be part of that rhythm was really really fortunate. That's very cool. My son uh, teaches film and photography at a uh, Christian school in Florida, and he one of his favorite films was Inception with Christopher Nolan. And I understand you're working with. Christopher Nolan, just looking ahead for a second to, as we wrap up our time. I think you're working on a project with him or a part of something he's doing? Sure, yeah. This will be the second film. I, I appeared in uh, Interstellar yes. a couple of years ago, right. and then um, I filmed uh, a little bit in the, his upcoming movie this July called Oppenheimer. Okay, that's great. Are you excited? I mean, you're doing a lot of different things. It's an actor's dream, I suppose. It really is. You know, I always just, you know, part of improv is saying yes. 
And, and I've taken that approach with my career. I like to say yes. Um, I, don't, I didn't have any pretensions when I became an actor about what I wanted to be. I just wanted to do it. I wanted to be part of the, the mystery. And um, so I say yes a lot. And it's turned out to be some pretty cool stuff. That's great. Jeff, congratulations on Switch. It's nice to make your acquaintance. And uh, God bless you. Have a great rest of your day. We'll hopefully get, have you on again sometime. I hope so. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jeff. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. That's Jeff Hepner, known as, uh, well, he's the host of GSN Switch, also known as Jeff Clark in Chicago Fire, Chicago Med, been in a bunch of films and TV shows, and again, host of the new program, Switch, on Game Show Network. Quick break. We'll bring another guest in before our program wraps up. Devin Alexander, who is best known for being the chef on NBC's The Biggest Loser, and she has a book out. She has 10. This is the most recent one called The Land of Secret Superpowers, Vegetables. It's a kid's book, but I'm sure anyone could benefit from it. That's coming up next. Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560 WFIL? Email D at WFIL.com. It's 449, the Tim DeMoss Show. Thank you for tuning in. Our final guest of our program today, full show, is known for her role as the chef on NBC's The Biggest Loser. She has written five books in the series for The Biggest Loser, plus four others, and now a fifth called The Land of Secret Superpowers, Vegetables. It's a kid's book, and it's Devin Alexander. How you doing? Hi. How's it going? Go Eagles! I'm a Philly native. (laughs) Yes. Yes, that's excellent. Well, they're going to win, aren't they? What do you think? Of course. That's right. Now, think of where they could be if they had actually been reading a book when they were little and learned about vegetables, but better late than never. <laughs> so I know. Yeah, we have another team about the secret superpowers yeah. of vegetables. <laughs> well, that's great. How long were you in Philly or the, Pennsylvania? Well, through high school, and then I went to college, Smith in Massachusetts, but I was still, you know, sort of based in Pennsylvania, and then I made the leap to the West Coast. That's neat. That's great. Well, that's great, and uh, we're glad to have you on. Congratulations on the land of secret superpowers, vegetables. Um, I like to ask people their backstory to things because often, you know, the works they do take a while, or there's a, there's a germ of an idea, and then eventually it blossoms into something, and it takes a lot of work. Uh, but I, I just from reading at the beginning the, who you dedicate it to, I'm guessing that's a huge part of the backstory for it. You know, it is, but it actually predates her. Uh, so I weighed 70 pounds as a teenager at Wyoming High School, and I was brutally bullied and needed to lose weight, which I did in my 20s, and then was lucky enough to be on The Biggest Loser. And during that time, I was also coaching moms to help their kids to get to eat veg or to want to eat vegetables, which I did not as a kid, and I learned that if you make it fun and play games with the vegetables, that kids will stop acting like they're going to jump out and hurt them. I mean, it's amazing to me how many kids, like, they see a plate of vegetables and they look like it's a plate of spiders that's going to jump out and, like, attack them. Right. Um, So, you know, breaking down all of those barriers and just creating the fun around vegetables will get kids to try them the way, I mean, let's face it, when kids are little, they put the remote in their mouth. So it's how do we cash in on that to get them to acquire the taste when they're young and keep sugar limited so they're not so used to this overly sweet, craveable sugar situation where the vegetables taste bitter. And then also cooking them in ways that they actually taste good. Because even as adults, 
we eat vegetables and sometimes they're delicious and sometimes they're awful. Yeah. And certainly stay away from stuff in cans. I mean, <laughs> well, and to your point, it, there are different ways to enjoy things. So you don't have to maybe like every single vegetable ever created, but you could pick enough of them, right, to, to do the trick. Right. And just explore what your kids like. Like my my daughter eats vegetables and she does not like tomatoes. And it's like, okay, I'm not going to force tomatoes. Like she doesn't need to eat tomatoes. But the ones that she does like. And then when she goes through phases that she doesn't like them, oh. Um, when she goes through phases that she doesn't like them, then it's coming up with a different creative way to cook them so she does like them again. Yeah. Yeah. What are your hopes for, for this book uh, as far as – this is your life's work and this is another aspect of it. You've written a lot of books and this is the first for kids, I understand. Just share, share what your hopes are for those who would pick it up. You know, it's that parents stop believing that their kids won't eat vegetables or that they're not good. I think, you know, the – so like teach a child – will make you strong or that nut squash is going to allow you to swim better and carrots make you see better, some of which we know, they might be more willing to do it because they want those things. Kids want to jump high. They want to be stronger than daddy. They want to run faster than mommy. So that's sort of what the book is about. But as I said, I think there's so many preconceived notions we have as parents. And if you take that out and do things like I played celery Brussels golf with my neighbor and my daughter um, <laughs> yeah. the other day. And the two-year-old started noshing on what was supposed to be the golf club. So it's, you know, it's just a matter of celebrating produce instead of making it the thing you don't want. And don't force it at every meal. Be strategic about having it sitting on the counter when they come home from school. Because if they ate some celery after school, it's not so necessary that they eat it on their dinner plate. Yeah. No, that's, there's a lot of wisdom in that and just taking time to think through how how and when and where you present things. But there's intentionality that's on the parents, I think, right, to to try and think through these different ways of doing it so that as a whole, like you said, they're getting what they need. Right. And there's a lot of strategies on my Instagram, fitmomfitkids underscore, even things like, you know, when you go to the store, there's Paw Patrol and SpongeBob SquarePants and all this garbage food. And the brands pay a ton of money for that stuff because it works. So why not buy your child's favorite stickers, whether it be fish or dinosaurs or Paw Patrol or whatever it is, and put them on the bags of things you want them to eat? So, like, my daughter loves her Paw Patrol salmon. Interesting. That's good. That's smart. Tell me about Michelle. Is it Peterson, her last name? And the illustration she did? Peterson. Okay. Yeah. I'm thinking football again. The Eagles head coach was Doug Peterson, so that's why I'm thinking Peterson. But Michelle <laughs> Michelle Peterson, tell us about Michelle and how you guys came to work together, what she brought to the table for the illustrations. You know what? So she is one of the most freakishly talented people I ever met, and I was blessed to meet her when she interned for me um, back probably about 12 years ago now. And we have grown together in a lot of ways. Um, I helped her get her photography published, and then – she had done cute designs for T-shirts and various things over the years. And when I wanted to, when I was ready to have the book illustrated, I asked her if she was interested, and she was. And I saw some samples that she did for me, and I just absolutely loved them and thought that kids would really relate. There's multicultural children in it. Obviously, there's rhyming in the book, which is great for kids' cognition. And, I mean, it was just such a... A fun. She's been such a fun person to not only mentor, but then see shine in the world. And as I said, she's so talented. So I was excited to partner with her. Devin, I heard your uh, little girl behind. I guess I, I think I heard her in the room. Um, 
and and she is that part of the intro. Could you share a little bit about your story with her? Because I think it's beautiful, and also that you wrote in your I think I read in your site about you know the books and the work you do are very important, but being a mom is at the top of the list, and that also advocating for kids in foster care too. Yeah, so I was a workaholic, admittedly, um, for too many years, and then by the time I was like, wow, I better get serious about dating and make some time, I was getting close to aging out of motherhood, and, you know, you don't want to put that pressure on a relationship, so I turned to the foster care system where I had volunteered for a long time and just got insanely lucky and got this precious little angel in my arms when she was three days old. Um, unexpectedly, it happened so fast. Wow. And uh, just right place, right time kind of situation. And I've, you know, I mean, she's just the perfect child for me. Like, if she was my biological child, I couldn't imagine her being more perfect. And she's a little foodie. She loves to play in the kitchen with us. She's now, I'm sure she's going to steal the show at some point because she just <laughs> pushes me out of the to do. She wants to do this. That's amazing. Um, she wants, you know, I'll be trying to say lines and she'll do it better and just be like, move over, mommy. <laughs> That's funny. My wife says to me, we want our kids to surpass us, you know, so, you know, that'll be great. If she does do that and she winds up picking up the baton and running with it, so much the better, I suppose. How old is she? She's five and she's literally, I mean, I, she was barely talking when she was telling me more lemon on her salmon. And I mean, she literally was making little combinations. The other day, even she put, applesauce on watermelon um like a little chef would do and i was like how is that and she's like really good and i was like oh i never thought of that one but <laughs> that's great <laughs> devin congratulations again on the uh, the land of secret superpowers vegetables and it's great to make your acquaintance and we're glad to hear about that beautiful little girl of yours too thank you devin alexander.com devin with an i for more and go eagles that's it <laughs> god bless you have a great rest of your day you too bye devin Bye. And it's Devin Alexander, best known for being the chef on NBC's The Biggest Loser. She's a three-time uh, New York Times best-selling cookbook author. And this is her 10th book, The Land of Secret Superpowers, Vegetables. Again, her site, devinalexander.com, D-E-V-I-N. On the way next, Alistair Begg, Truth for Life. Don't forget, he's going to be on board with a Deeper Faith Mediterranean cruise this August and early September Rome, Naples, Malta, Croatia, Greece, Venice, all stops. Great food on board, fellowship. And Alistair Beck from Truth for Life. Find out more about the Deeper Faith Mediterranean Cruise at WFIL.com. Have a great night. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 to 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.